Many years ago, I uh, was on uh, my way to Bible college to prepare for ministry. Uh, during the summer, I, I worked at Greenville Memorial Gardens, which is a cemetery on the south side of that city, Greenville, South Carolina, uh, to make money for college. The owner actually tried to talk me into being a salesman. He, he thought talking to people about cemetery plots would be good training for my future vocation. <laughs> Aren't you preparing people for death, he asked. <laughs> I chose rather to mow grass, weed, eat stones, and, and dig grapes. Well, my first day on the job, about mid-morning, uh, the boss tossed me a shovel and said, let's go. Well, and so we climbed into a pickup and made our way to Section E. I, I thought he was pulling my leg. I mean, I had seen the backhoe. Certainly, weren't, we weren't going to dig a grave by hand. He began walking around, examining the ground until he found this uh, small uh, uh, round marker. It was the first time that I had noticed uh, them. He stepped off the grave sites uh, to find the one that we were looking for. He took the shovel. I was glad it dug a hole about a foot deep. And by this time, though, I was starting to sweat. I was beginning to wonder, where else can I work this summer? Uh, then, then he went back to the pickup, grabbed the Pepsi and sat down. And I thought, oh, we're, we're just marking the grave. That backhoe will be here any minute. After a few minutes of chit-chat, uh, a van from Gray's Funeral Home um, pulled into the entrance and drove over uh, to where we were sitting. The boss um, stood up and he asked the guy, uh, you got it? And the driver said, yeah. And he opened the back of the van. I thought, got what? Uh, he pulled out a small box and, and opened it to reveal a tin. It looked to me like a, like a coffee can. He shook it <laughs> and he said, you want to open it? I was glad when the boss said, no. He took the can and dropped it into the hole, covered it up, replaced the sod, and within minutes, the cremated remains of this dead person were buried. You couldn't even tell where. I remember thinking, well, that was some graveside funeral, and no one was even here. Later that day, I was mowing in Section E, and when two elderly ladies pulled in and started walking around, obviously looking for something. In respect, as trained, I pulled over under a tree, turned off the engine, and sat there quietly. Uh, that allowed me to overhear their conversation. Uh, they said he was buried here somewhere. Uh, they're supposed to bring the grave marker later. I, I would have helped them, but I didn't think I could find again where we had dropped that coffee can. And so after a few moments, they left, and that was it. And not much of a burial. Hardly anyone noticed. No one even knew where it was. This Easter Sunday morning, I, I want to talk about the, the burial of Jesus Christ. You see, last Easter, for those of you who were here, I talked about the crucifixion and the resurrection. I thought we'd just go ahead and hit the middle. And at first glance, it, it may seem, the burial of Christ may seem as insignificant as my first burial at Greenville Memorial Gardens. It, his burial was kind of a rush job to get finished before the Sabbath. There were no family members present. Hardly anyone noticed there wasn't much of a graveside service. And to this day, no one is really sure where he was actually buried. In fact, we might be tempted to ask the question, why so much fuss about the burial? Are you going to preach a whole message on the burial? Should have stayed home. Every gospel mentions it. Paul later would include it as part of the gospel when he writes, For I 
uh, deliver to you what was of first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Hallelujah. We sing about that, that he was buried, not many burial songs, and that he was raised again the third day according to Scripture. Uh, all the gospel narratives, again, record this burial. What's the big deal about the burial of Jesus Christ? I turn your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start reading in verse 55. Matthew 27, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along if you'd like. It's, it says this, many women uh, were there, and there, by the way, is at the cross, looking on from a distance. Uh, these women had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to, to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and uh, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and, and went away. And, and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and, and steal him away and say to the people, he is, he is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, along with the, the guard that they set. Along with the guard, they set a seal on, on the stone. That, that's exciting. <laughs> you get, like, really? You preach a whole message on that? There's not really a lot of action there, Scott. I mean, why do we give so much space to the, to the burial? Why is the burial so important? I hope to answer that this morning. Our outline's going to look simply like this. We're going to look at these personalities around the burial, and I, I hope you to, to be encouraged. And then we're going to look at uh, the purpose of the burial, and I hope to answer that question. But let's begin by looking at the story itself to see the different characters uh, involved in the burial. We meet the first group in, in, in verses 55 and 56. Now, as I said when I was reading it, we're, we're still at the cross. Jesus has just died. In the verse before, the centurion had proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. These battle-hardened warriors trained executioners had, had seen the miracles surrounding the death of Christ, you know, things like darkness and, and, and earthquakes, and, and, and so they confessed. Uh, so he confessed, this is the Son of God. That's kind of good stuff. Let's make a movie. It's exciting. And then, and then we get to the next verse. Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. I mean, stop the presses. New headline, women looking on. Are you kidding me? Not a lot of action there. I make a movie out of that. We have a serious chick flick. I mean, let's, let's skip these verses and let's move to some action. Now let's get to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. At least they did something, right? Um, drop down to verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary is sitting <laughs> opposite the grave. Great. First they're looking, now they're sitting. 
Do something. Give me something to preach about. And the next time we see these women is in chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how'd you like to have that as your eternal moniker, the other Mary? The other Mary, they came to what? To look. Are you kidding me? We're looking again. Let's just skip these verses. They cover these action-packed Women, I don't know if you've noticed that I've never seen Mary Magdalene as an action figure. <laughs> Maybe we should skip them. Unless. Well, unless there's something important for us to learn from these women. Let's take a closer look, shall we? Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee, we know, were, were James and John. And as we compare other gospel accounts, we find that her name was Salome. So what we have there are Mary, Mary, and Salome. By the way, John tells us that also at the cross were Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some other woman, surprise, named Mary, the wife of of Clopas. So we have at the cross, are you ready? Mary, 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 and Salome. They perhaps could have used a a name book. Uh, At any rate, Mary, I mean, Matthew tells us that these women, namely Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Salome, had followed Jesus from Galilee and were ministering to Him. There are two very important things that that I want you to see about this. First, they, like the disciples, had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. This is quite the trip uh, by foot. They they didn't drive down. They they didn't fly down. They didn't ride the, the local apple cart. They walked all the way from Galilee. We read throughout the gospel narratives, there are people that followed Jesus for a little while, and then when the going got tough, they left, not these women. They were committed followers of Jesus. In fact, note a second, they, they ministered to him. The word is diakoneo, from which we get our word deacon. Uh, they, 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 they ministered to him. They served. They, they waited on Jesus. Luke 8 goes further to indicate that they provided for him out of their own resources, meaning there was a sense in which these women funded Jesus' ministry. All of a sudden, maybe they're looking a little more important. Now, we don't know much about them. We know nothing about Mary, the mother of James and and Joseph. We're we're not even really sure who James and Joseph were. Salome, as I said, was the mother of James and John. She was the one who came to Jesus. Remember that story in Matthew chapter 20? And asked that her boys be granted to sit in seats of honor, one on his left and one on his right, uh, in, in the kingdom. That's it. Now, we know a little more about Mary Magdalene. She's from Magdala, which is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. She had been healed by Jesus. In fact, as we read in, I think it's Luke 8, I'm not sure about it. I think it's Luke 8. We read there in the first three verses of that chapter that, that, that she had seven demons that Jesus drove out for her. No wonder she's... Um, committed. Now, church tradition early on somehow came up with this idea that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Well, actually, what happened was some 
Pope was preaching, and I think it was about the 7th or 8th century, and said that she was a prostitute. And yet there's no biblical support for that. It took about a millennium for some other pope to realize. I guess he was reading the Bible one day and said, well, actually she wasn't. Actually she wasn't a, 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 a prostitute. And, and they recanted that teaching. But that's what we know about her. But this is what I want you to know about these women. They followed Jesus from Galilee just like the disciples, just like Peter and Andrew, just like James and John, just like the rest of the guys. But there is a significant difference between these women and the other disciples. We never see them arguing about who was the greatest. We never see them boasting that they would follow Jesus anywhere. We never see them boasting that they would never flee. In fact, when Peter made his favorite, uh, his, his famous I can speech, I will never deny you. We never see them saying, I can, I will, I won't deny. But what we do see is this. In, in verse 55, these women were at the crucifixion. Where, where were the guys? Oh, yeah, that's right, they fled. In verse 61, these women were at the burial. Where were the guys? Oh, yeah, that's right, they fled. In chapter 28, verse 1, they were at the resurrection. Where were, the, where were the guys? Oh, yeah, that's right. They were cowering behind locked doors in fear of their lives in the, lives in the upper room. D- do you see that? These women and these women only were at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sitting, looking, not very impressive, hardly Apparently, it impressed Jesus because the angels appeared to these women and no one else and said to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking. There they are again looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. And now quickly go tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. The the, the women got that message. The men didn't. And then in chapter 28, verse 9, we read these words. It actually says this, Behold, Jesus met them. Who's them? The women. Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Do you see that? These women were privileged to see the empty tomb first. They were privileged to hear the angels, and they are the only ones who heard the angels. They were privileged to see Jesus first, and they were privileged to carry the news of the resurrection first to those disciples. It has been rightly said, the first witnesses to the gospel, the first to share the good news of Jesus Christ were these women, not the disciples, not not Peter, not James. Not John. In fact, uh, Mary and the other Mary and, and Salome, uh, some woman named jo- Joanna, they were the ones. Bernard of Clairvaux called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. She was the one sent back with the message to the apostles, the ones who were hiding. So, so, so what's so special about these women, I will tell you, their pursuit of Christ was consistent and unwavering. 
All too often we find that to be true in our own lives, don't we? That, that it is our, the women in our lives, our, our wives and our, our mothers who remain consistent and unwavering in the midst of challenge. These women loved Jesus. They wanted to be where he was. When Jesus hung on a cross while the disciples fled, I guess all except John, they wanted to be by Jesus. When Jesus was taken down from the cross, dead, they wanted to be by Jesus. When Jesus was buried, they wanted to be by Jesus. Three days later, they, when they thought he was still dead, they still wanted to be by Jesus. And as a result, Jesus was by them and appeared to them first. Now, I don't think that they fully understood the gospel, okay? I, I don't think they understood, at this point, the resurrection. The other gospels tell us that they went to the tomb to actually anoint the body of Jesus. They expected him to still be dead. They were just as surprised as everyone else that Jesus had risen from, from the dead. But the point is this. Their love for Jesus was unwavering. While they did not understand what was going on, they simply wanted to be by Jesus. Uh, inactivity? Hardly. Unimpressive? I don't think so. I just want to be by Jesus, dead or alive. They loved him. They ministered to him all the way from Galilee through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And he ministered the gospel to them first. This is incredible. So, you see, society then had a tendency to overlook, overlook women, <laughs> just like society today has the tendency to overlook women. Don't do it. Jesus did not. They loved him, and he loved them. And so I would say to you, ladies, are you not glad that in a world where you are often marginalized, mistreated, exploited, abused, taken for granted, disrespected, that Jesus did not? In fact, he elevated your place in society. Do, do, do you understand? Um, as women were grossly overlooked then, they, they, they were considered unreliable. They were not even allowed to give a, a testimony in a court of law. If you were making up this story about a resurrection, you would not have written this. Nobody would have written this. You would have had Jesus appear to Peter or, or James or John first. This would have appeared incredulous, ridiculous exactly, because it wasn't made up. This is the way that it happened. The second group of people associated with the burial that day was Joseph of Arimathea and his friend Nicodemus. Now, John is the one who tells us that Nick was there. You remember it was, uh, it was Friday and the Sabbath was approaching, not just any Sabbath. Uh, it was the high Sabbath, the, the Sabbath uh, of Passover week. Uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, so John tells us the Jews, probably the chief priests, they approached Pilate on that Sabbath and said, now listen, Pilate, uh, or actually right before the Sabbath, it, it's against our law for, for bodies to hang on a cross during the Sabbath. It's against our law. Now they're concerned about the law. They're such law-abiding citizens, don't you think? And actually, it was Deuteronomy 21 that says this. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, stop right there. Had Jesus committed a sin worthy of death? 
We're so concerned about the law, aren't we? Well, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God has given you. They almost got it right, right? I mean, except for a couple of small things, except for the the fact that Jesus uh, didn't commit a sin worthy uh, of death, as we talked about on Friday, he was totally innocent, but what's a little law breaking among friends? And the law actually said, don't let them hang on the tree overnight. It really had nothing to do with the Sabbath, but that's okay. They were trying to be righteous law-abiding citizens, so they said, Pilate, would you mind just breaking their legs? You remember that would keep the victims from being able to push themselves up to, to take a breath, and death would come then in a matter of moments. Pilate, would you, would you mind just breaking their legs so that we can go ahead and take them down from the cross? That's, that's sweet. That's special. Those bless their law-abiding little hearts. They didn't want the, 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 the bodies hanging on the Sabbath, but they would crucify the Lord of the Sabbath. So Pilate gave the order, and with a heavy wooden mallet, they broke the legs of the first two insurrectionists, two criminals. And within a moment, one of those criminals uh, was in paradise. Remember, today you will be with me in paradise. When they got to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. They just pierced his side with a spear instead. All that, John says, so that the prophetic scripture would be fulfilled. Not a bone of him would be broken, and they shall look on him whom they pierced. You know, I suppose that you were trying to, if you were trying to fake being the Messiah, you could read through the Old Testament and come up with all the things that the Messiah is supposed to do in his life. You could not fake the things that he did in his death. No way you could orchestrate that. You see, uh, the, 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 the biblical authors want us to make sure that we understand that God was in charge of his son's death. Well, Jesus is dead. So Joseph came to Pilate, picked the story back up, asked uh, uh, Pilate that the body be given to him. Now, now, who is this Joseph? By looking at parallel accounts, we learn the following. First, we find he's Joseph of Arimathea. He's from Arimathea. We don't know exactly where that was. Probably a good guess is a few miles north of Jerusalem, some archaeological reasons for that, but whatever. Matthew also tells us that he was rich, and he had become a disciple of Jesus. But John tells us further that, that he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. We, we don't know when he became a follower. He's never mentioned before the story of the burial, and he's never mentioned again. That's interesting. And Luke tells us he was a good and righteous man, that he was looking for the kingdom of God. And both Luke and Mark finally tell us that, that he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. Oh, that's why he was a secret follower, and that he had not consented to the action the council had taken against Jesus. So let's put all of that together. This guy, this Joseph, came to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus. Jo Joseph, you see, who had been a secret follower, was secret no longer. You can't remain a secret follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as an incog incognito Christian. This took great courage and great cost. Consider, uh, first to be sure, his career in the Sanhedrin was ruined. These were the guys, the religious leaders who, who wanted to get rid of Jesus. 
The, 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 the fact that it, the, the fact is, is it costs something to be a follower of Christ then and, and now. When he went publicly to Pilate, his career in the Sanhedrin was over. There may be a reason that we don't hear of him anymore. It may have cost him to be a disciple of Jesus. Not only was there a cost of ruined career and reputation, but there was also a physical cost in that he bought linen cloth. He wrapped Jesus' body in it and laid Jesus' body in a, a newly hewn tomb, his own tomb. Now, tombs cut out of rock were quite expensive. They were for the richest of people, you know, the one percenters. Not only that, Joseph took a gamble because crucified criminals were not even supposed to be buried. I mean, if they were, no one else was allowed to be buried with them, which explains why this had to be a new tomb. In fact, uh, this would have been a family burial cave. It would have been an opening with several places dug dug out of uh, the wall to place other bodies. By placing Jesus in his own tomb, Joseph was losing the opportunity to use it for himself and his family later. This was a costly act. John also tells us that Nicodemus, a famous teacher of the Jews, also a, a, probably a member of the Sanhedrin, helped Joseph prepare the body. You, you'll remember Nicodemus was the guy who came to Jesus uh, by night in, in John chapter 3, and, and, and Jesus explained to him the necessity of the new birth. John, you, even a ruler of the Jews, you must be born again or you won't see the kingdom of God. <laughs> well, apparently Nicodemus listened. He brought about 75 pounds of burial spices that were, that were wrapped in the linen when Jesus was buried. I, I want you to see that. I want you to remember that. They would take the, they would take the linen and wrap a little bit in, in burial spices and wrap a little bit more, 75 pounds covering his body. Finally, they put him in a tomb and, and rolled a stone in front of the entrance. That very common for, for rich tombs. There would have been a large stone kind of circular stone on the, on, on the side with a channel uh, cut out at the base of the rock, rolled the stone in front of the entrance, and the burial was complete. And there you have it. Yeah, lots of attempts have been made to identify the actual burial site. A, a few shekels to almost any taxi driver in Jerusalem, and you can be taken to any number of si- sites which claim to be the burial site of Christ. Uh, there's good reason to believe that it might be at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or, or perhaps that garden tomb site that I'm sure some of you have been to. But in the end, we can't be sure. Why? Because his body isn't there. Maybe that's a clue as to why the burial was so important. Which brings us to the final group of people at the, at the funeral. It's found in, in verses 62 to 66. The chief priests and the Pharisees, those law-abiding citizens, well, they came to Pilate. You have to figure that Pilate by now is getting rather tired of hearing of Jesus by now. He had washed his hands, literally, of the whole affair. But, but he, he keeps having to deal with this Jesus, not unlike you. You can imagine his concern in three days when he gets reports that Jesus' body is gone. That's another truth you've got to deal with. Well, they came to Pilate the, the day after the preparation. That is the preparation for the Sabbath. That means that they came to him on the Sabbath. And they said, listen, 
This deceiver said he was going to rise from the dead in three days. If his disciples come and steal his body away, the last deception, supposed resurrection, will be worse than the first deception, his supposed messiahship. So, so why don't you give the order that the, that the gravesite be made secure? Thank you very much. Pilate said, fine, go ahead. And so they took a guard, either a Roman contingent of soldiers or their own soldiers, that, that would have been the temple police, and they, they posted them outside the, the tomb. They even placed a seal on the entrance, meaning they, they, they poured hot wax over the rock, uh, the, uh, the crack of the entrance, so they'd be able to tell if anyone had moved the stone. All of that is critically important. They were trying, you see, to prevent the deception of a resurrection, and I suggest they did. There was no deceitful resurrection. By their actions in trying to prevent deception, they actually proved the reality of resurrection. They were there. There could be no other reasonable explanation except genuine resurrection. You must deal with this. Which brings us to that question of the morning and conclusion as well. The question of the morning. What is this big deal about the burial? I mean, okay, he's dead. Can't we just fast forward to the resurrection? The, uh, the burial is kind of a touching story, Joseph and all of that. Uh, uh, you even kind of made it kind of cool with the women, but there's not a lot of action there, kind of mundane. Can't we just move on? In fact, most people do. They focus on the cross, uh, briefly mention the burial, and then speed ahead, uh, Resurrection Sunday. But the gospel writers didn't. Why? There are at least three reasons I would suggest that dwelling on the burial is important. First, the burial proves that Jesus was really dead. I know you've heard lots of explanations as to the resurrection and how it was a farce and all of the explanations trying to explain away the death of Jesus. The burial proves that Jesus was dead. Look at the solid proofs which verify his death. The centurion and the Roman soldiers, trained killers and executioners, confirmed Jesus was dead. They even thrust a spear in his side just to make sure he was dead. And then Joseph and Nicodemus prepared his body for, for, for burial, which include wrapping that body tightly with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Finally, they placed that body in a tomb, rolled a heavy stone in front of it where Jesus was kept for three days. Through the years, people have tried to deny the reality of resurrection. And then the, the real popular one, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. Right. He wasn't really dead, even though the trained killers killed him. Even though they wrapped him in burial, after, after the beating, in, which flayed his flesh, which we talked about on Friday, and after they wrapped him in cloth with 75 pounds of, uh, of myrrh and aloes and put him in a tomb and rolled a heavy stone in front of it, somehow, somehow, Jesus was able to roll that stone back and disable the soldiers and walk away. That is ridiculous. You are so intent on de denying the resurrection, you'll come up with more fabulous stories. He wasn't really dead. His body was stolen. <laughs> they seem to 
They, they, they posted the guard there to make sure that wouldn't happen. They came to the wrong tomb. They knew which tomb it was. Just because we don't doesn't mean they were confused. There are all kinds of flimsy arguments to explain it all away. But the record, listen to me, is concrete. It, 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 is, cl- it is clear, almost as if God expected these attacks. There can be no doubt from any thinking rational person that Jesus was dead and somehow alive. And you must deal with that. And second, the burial was important because it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Again, you could have, I suppose, orchestrated the events of your life uh, to, to fulfill messianic prophecy. There's no way you could have done this. You're dead. Isaiah 53 verse 9 says he was, he, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Well, what does that mean? His grave was assigned with wicked men. Well, we know that he died with wicked criminals. And so his grave would have been assigned with them. As I said earlier, you didn't get a proper burial. Criminals were normally buried either together or more likely they they were thrown into a a garbage heap out in a burning refuse dump outside the city known as Gehenna. He was crucified with criminals, and therefore he was assigned a criminal's burial. But in fulfillment of Scripture, he was with the rich in his death. No way he could orchestrate that. you got to deal with that. And, and, and finally, the burial is important because of our understanding of baptism. And you say, really? You're going to talk about baptism on Easter? You bet. Because baptism, you see, is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of what we are celebrating this weekend. Consider these verses with me in Romans chapter 6. I'm almost done. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Not only that, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death. If we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, and we were dead and buried with Him, we too will be raised in the future. Baptism is all about the gospel. It is all about Resurrection Sunday. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Consider yourselves, therefore, brothers and sisters, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Water baptism symbolizes our baptism by the Spirit. What is important is that the person is baptized. They are, as they are baptized, they're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are dying to themselves. The old self is being buried. They are no longer slaves to sin. That's what burial means. Raised to walk a new life in Christ. Freed from sin. It no longer has mastery over us. That's where you left your sinful flesh when you believed in Christ. So what's the big deal about the burial of Christ? It is absolutely critical to our faith. It proves that Jesus was dead. It fulfills prophecy that he could not have orchestrated to fulfill it. And it gives us the power to kill ourselves.
and live for Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's stand for prayer. Father, this is, this is great news. This, this is why the gospel includes the death on Good Friday, the burial, which re- remains so for three days and three nights, however we get those numbers, and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection, all according to the Scripture. <laughs> no way Jesus could have orchestrated that. Proves that he was dead proves that he was who he said he was, and his resurrection, glorious resurrection, proves, Romans chapter 1, that he was the Son of God with power. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in us, giving us a power and an ability to live a holy and righteous life. That same power will one day raise us from the dead. Hallelujah. Thank you for what you have done for us in the person of Jesus. Thank you for this day to celebrate his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen.